0: Welcome back to Bible time. First Thessalonians four seventeen. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This comes on the heels of verse 16, um, which you can look up there online, but um, that that reads like this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd open our understanding, and Lord, that you would take all of the smoke and mirrors and junk that the devil throws into this whole discussion and just remove them and give everyone here and everyone that hears this message, Lord, at least the opportunity to have a clear rightly divided understanding of your plan and purpose for your church Lord this is supposed to be comfort for us and not terror. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to find comfort in these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, by the way, that is verse 18, the purpose of this information. Eschatology is not given to give you chills and thrills and to write thriller series and make millions and millions of dollars off your thriller series that you write and all this, all this um, chills and all this kind of stuff and get you all into this. Um, all of these theories, conspiracy theory stuff, and looking for the beast, looking for the Antichrist, trying to figure out who he is, trying to figure out how the one world government's going to play into the Antichrist and all this kind of stuff. This is not the purpose for eschatology. Look at your Bible, and we'll we'll get more into that, Lord willing, tomorrow. But it says, and we'll read these, first, these three verses together. We're, verse 17 is our verse for the day. Uh, Verse 16 and verse 18, we'll read with verse 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So this teaching is given by God to comfort you. The purpose is comfort and the result should be comfort or you missed it. If you study eschatology and you end by having to build uh, a stockpile of seven years rations and getting your ready bag and your ammunition and everything else, you missed the whole thing. You need to go back and start over. You missed it. God's wanting to comfort you. Now, again, we're jumping ahead. We got um, that's the next verse. So here he's talking about we which are alive and remain. The last lesson we talked about the Lord descending from heaven. We looked at the fact that it will be the Lord himself, Jehovah God, who became flesh to save us from our sins and is known as Jesus Christ, who died and was buried and rose again the third day, who was born of the Virgin Mary and um, lived a perfect, sinless life. God himself, God alone, God, there is none other beside him. We Looked at his um, physical body in First 1 John 1.1 1, 1, and Luke 24. Ha- um, Handle me and see. And he ate before them and our hands have handled in First John 1. We looked at Mark 16.19. We looked at how um, um, Acts chapter 1 talks about that Jesus shall come. As you saw him, so he shall come. Thank you for that water. Appreciate it. <coughs> As you saw him come. So shout, as you saw him go, so shall ye see him come. Um, and we looked at them, these three things that were there in that text, that he will come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So, this event that is coming, we'll look more at timing, Lord willing, um, when we get into chapter 5, which begins. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. We're not getting into the timing of it as much right at the moment as the actual event. We want to focus on this event. This is Bible time. We try and follow the Bible and the Bible's outline here and not cram things in out of order. So there's three things that we notice. He'll come with a shout, whereas he came quiet the first time. He'll come with the voice of the archangel, whereas he came with the voice of gentle Gabriel the first time. Michael as the captain of the host, in a sense. Um, the captain of one of the chief captains. Now again, with and Michael's going to play in. We're going to see a little bit about Michael the archangel come in here in verse 17 if there's going to be an aspect of this that we need to understand but with Michael you got to be careful with angel theology okay angel theology i i really get really 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 nervous around people that know everything about angels like the eight celestial orders and all this kind of stuff cuz they got that somewhere other than the bible and if they're getting their information about God's heaven and God's angels somewhere other than God, that basically leaves the devil. He's the only other source of information that can be even remotely um, relied upon to have any kind of experiential validity to it. But the devil will give you the information he wants and he'll twist it and give you misinformation <clears throat> in order to twist your mind and twist your theology. So be very careful about angel theology that isn't just straight out of the Bible. Go to the Bible for your doctrine of angels. We noticed whenever we studied that, that um, God put the angels on the earth. He made them ministering spirits to minister to them who should become heirs of salvation, which is out of Hebrews chapter one and two. If you want to study angels, go to Hebrews one and two. That tells you all a, a lot about the angels. A a lot more than you'll get in a lot of other places. Now, um, these angels we found out as we studied that "ark" means chief, so "archangel" means that he's a chief angel, and Michael is called an archangel in the book of Daniel. And we found out that he stands up, and we find him disputing with the devil in Jude over the body of Moses. So we find that Michael takes a leadership role amongst the angels, and that Michael ends up in the middle of disputes and battles and times of trouble. So some. Some people will take that and say that Michael is the warrior angel. I cannot say that he is the warrior angel. David had mighty men and we compared that. And this is important because we're going to bring, Michael's going to come back in here in verse 17, even though he's not mentioned, the context of this is really important. Um, David's mighty men, give David is a picture of Christ. Okay. David is a type of Christ. He's the biggest, the biggest character type of Christ in the whole Bible. There's no other person in the Bible that has more written about him that is more a type of Christ than David. David is over and over and over and over again a type of Christ and as Christ the king. So David, as king setting up his kingdom, he had Joab who was the chief of a captain of the host. He was the arch captain. Okay, Joab was the arch captain. But then he had, I think it was Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, I can't remember, um, but he was chief chief of the three, but he attained not to the first three. So you can have a chief and then you can have a chief of three who's under the chief of all of them. And I'm not, I can't, I can't just guess. I'd have no right to just guess at where Michael stands in the rank and hierarchy of angels. I do know that the Bible says he's one of the chief princes he's he's top he's pretty top he's way up there and he has a lot of authority and he's the chief um, prince of the people of Israel he stands up for Israel he's assigned the nation of Israel there are principalities and powers in the Bible Satan assigns princes chief angels to positions of high power over nations and Michael is assigned the nation of Israel Michael is the prince of the people of the nation of Israel we saw that in the book of Daniel in chapters 9 and 10. So Michael then is a chief prince, a warrior angel, and he stands up for the people of God. And when he stands, it's usually involving a battle. We find that the devil withstood the angel that brought the message to Daniel in the book of Daniel and Michael stood up to help him. And 21 days of spiritual warfare later, they pushed through. By the way, spiritual warfare is more real than physical warfare because the spiritual world is more real than the physical world. Get this right now and get it deep in your hearts. The spiritual world is more real than the physical, but the physical world is real. You have people out here who are atheistic and humanistic, and they think that um, everything that is substance is reality. And then you have all these spiritists out here that get off in this weird la-la land, and they think that everything that's substance is non-existent, and that the spiritual world is the only world, both of those dreams are satanic, God wants you to know that the spirit is the more important realm. Why? How can I say that? John chapter 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. He said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the spiritual world is more important than the physical world. What came first, the spiritual world or the physical God is a spirit, and he's eternally existing. The physical world was created by God in six literal days, roughly 6,000 or so years ago. It is a temporal, short existence world, but it is real. And God, by doing that, instituted the physical world for the rest of eternity, because God has a new heaven and a new earth that he's going to make. There in Revelation 21, it tells you about it. And that earth, the Bible says, the earth will let, will live forever. The earth will last forever. Now, a lot of people say, well, see this earth isn't going anywhere. Listen, you can't just throw out the rest of the Bible. The Bible says the earth will last forever, but it also says the earth will be burned up, dissolved, pass away with a great noise, be destroyed. This earth is going to melt with a fervent heat. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. God will make a new heaven and a new earth. And that is the one which will stand forever and there will be no sin on that earth. Praise the Lord. But the spiritual and the physical are important, but the spiritual is more important than the physical. Spiritual comes first. Spiritual must be more powerful. It must be more prioritized. The spiritual is the, is the first part. It's the most important part. So the voice of the archangel that Jesus Christ will come back with, we looked at Daniel, how that when Daniel stands up, let's go there real quick. This, this is going to tie in here. <coughs> it all ties in together. That's It's all part of the same letter. Uh, and let's see if I can find my reference here in yesterday's notes. Daniel, we've got 1013. I think that's where um, the prince of Persia withstood me. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. And that's an angelic messenger talking to Daniel there. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we're going to go to Daniel 12 and chapter 3, or verse 3, and this is where the... Um, or verse one at the end, at that time, shall Michael stand up the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Now, Daniel's a Jew. This is important. This is all you say, what has this got to do with the, with being caught up to heaven here in our text that we're studying today? It has everything to do with it. Look at me. This is a a great study. I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. This is a great study. This is a wonderful study. But there's some groundwork and there's some basic truths about God that you have got to have down, settled in your soul, bedrock deep, or you won't be able to comprehend it. Do you hear me? You will miss it. You will not get it. It will not make sense. You'll say, how did he get there? Where is he coming from? Well, I'm giving you where I'm coming from right now. You're getting the where I'm coming from so that you can get where I'm going with me and we can rejoice together and be comforted together in the word of God. So pay close attention and lay the groundwork. You can't frost a cake until you bake the cake. It's awful hard to frost dough or batter. You got to bake the cake. So we're baking the cake, and then we'll put the frosting on it with this glorious, beautiful scripture that God has given us in First Thessalonians 4, 17. So follow along. Michael stands up in Daniel 12, and the people of Daniel, who are the physical Jews, it says, will go through a time of trouble, and thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book, and verse 2, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall Awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So there it gives us the resurrection, but it doesn't give us a time frame. Again, we're gonna really try and dial down more on the time frames whenever we get to the times and seasons in chapter five. But it's important to note that a lot of times God doesn't tell you the times when he tells you something and he leaves you to have to search the scripture to find them. Here he says, Many will awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But in Revelation chapter 20, it tells us that there's a first resurrection and there's a second resurrection and that these do not happen at the same time. So here it makes it sound in Daniel 12:2 like it's the same time, but God is instead giving you a broad brush, wide range, panoramic view of future history summarized in one little verse. You gotta get that so that you don't so that you can rightly divide the word of truth. It says in verse 3, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Hallelujah. So there's Michael standing up, the great prince, and then the time of trouble for Daniel's people. Now um, then it says in our text that we studied the other day, um, there would also be the trump of God. We looked at the trumpets, how there's many different trumpets. The first Corinthians talks about the last trumpets trump that is not talking about the seven trumpets in the in revelation you say how do you know that because it breaks a couple dozen other verses to apply it that way and anytime you make an application of a verse or an interpretation of a verse that breaks other scripture and the scripture cannot be broken your application and interpretation is wrong That's just simple. That's absolutely basic. If you come to the Bible with the predisposed opinion that the Word of God is absolutely infallibly perfect and accurate and true, and that it will always agree with itself and never have a contradiction, you will be on the right track to rightly divide the Word of God. Because every time you find that your little ideas about the Bible cause a a ripple of broken verses to follow your idea, you recognize you just came up with a dumb idea. Idea, And you back up and you trash it and you go back to the drawing board, back to the Bible and read it again and look for truth that works with the rest of the Bible. All right, so here we are in First Thessalonians four seventeen. We've got a little bit of that groundwork laid again, and it our verse says, Then we which are alive, after the dead in Christ shall rise first, when Jesus Christ come, Christ comes back with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And it says, After this, for um or it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now this is written in a time that is after Christ's resurrection when some of the saints arose from the dead and went about the holy city um, when Christ rose from the dead. So this is another resurrection of the dead. And after this next resurrection that's coming, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be be with the lord this catching away is what we will call it the catching away this is just as sure as the resurrection of the dead now many people would call the catching away of the church the rapture of the church and that word was used because rapture talks about um extreme delight rapture talks about overwhelming love and this is, and it was used by old timers who understood the doctrine of the bride The doctrine of the bride of Christ, that the church of Jesus Christ is the bride that he bought with his blood. And this rapture is talking about the consummation of the wedding and the intense and overwhelming and extreme enjoyment that we will have at being glorified with Christ and seeing Jesus Christ. The word rapture isn't in the Bible. So if you go looking for the word rapture, you won't find it, but neither is Subaru or sleeping bag or cheeseburger. You're not going to find those words in the Bible either. That doesn't make most of you disbelievers in cheeseburgers. Well, cheeseburgers not in the Bible. So it's false doctrine. I can't eat one. What a bunch of nut stuff. What well, a bunch of garbage, okay? Get off that stuff. People are gonna come up to you and say, if you believe in the catching away of the bride of Christ, they're gonna come up come up to you and say, Rapture's not in the Bible. Darby Darby came up with all that stuff. Listen, I came up with all of that. Reading my Bible before I ever knew Darby existed, before I ever knew about Schofield and his notes, I found the catching away of the bride in the Bible because the Bible says it. And I read it and I said, whoa, and I found other scriptures and I read them and said, whoa, and came to, came to this conclusion of what I'm teaching you today. And I didn't get any of it from Darby. I didn't get any of it from Schofield and I didn't get any of it from anything but the Bible. Listen to me today. Don't let people come up to you and do that to you. Don't let people come and say, rapture is not in the Bible. That's false doctrine. Just stick to the Bible. The Bible calls this the catching away of the bride. I have to wonder if people that deny this doctrine are even saved. This is the comfort of the church. This is what the Bible calls. the Bible calls the resurrection the blessed hope. This is the comfort of the church. I can't think of a word much better to describe it than rapture. If you were going to give it one word, rapture, pretty much puts it in the right plane. We're talking about one day you're working in your menial tasks, doing your little things, you're trying to survive in a world that hates your guts, persecuted, hated, cast off, um, with no place to rest your foot in this wicked world, as Brother Jim Landis said the other day, like that dove that went out from the ark couldn't find a place to rest the sole of its feet, and he said there's less and less places for the Christian to even go in this world, to even be a part of anything in this world because of the wickedness and the vileness and the filthiness of this world, and you're going along, you're just trying to stay pure, you're trying to follow God, and then all of a sudden, listen to me, you're going to hear a shout, you're going to hear the voice of the archangel, that would be enough to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck and on your arms, and then the Lord himself, with the trump of God blaring, is going to come through the sky, and he's going to catch his bride up to heaven to be with him. Hallelujah! We're coming up out of here, leaving the broom where it stands. It will fall over and hit the floor and your lost people that you know will get to come and sweep your floor for you. Your dirty laundry will sit where it's at. The dirty dishes will sit where they're at. The unfinished projects, that big broken engine you've been working on and working on and working on and you haven't got it fixed yet and you're frustrated with it. All of these things will end. The prisoner, the Christian who's in jail, for his faith is up and away caught up to be forever with the Lord in that moment hallelujah can you imagine those prison guards when this happens when they're caught up here they've got this guy they've got him in solitary confinement and they've had him in there they've been um, tormenting him and persecuting him maybe even torturing him and they come to get him and he's not in there and they can't find a way he got out there's going to be a lot of prison guards in trouble At the rapture, at the rapture, and I used that word, did you hear me? The rapture, that's a good word to describe it. Now, we're going to stick primarily to the Bible word, catching away, caught up together with them in the clouds, because it's better to stick with the words the Bible uses. (coughs) But that will be a glorious day, and rapture will be a good day to describe it. How would you feel? If you're sitting there like Pavel we read about that guy and they're taking you out in a snowstorm to leave you for dead and you've got nothing but a little jacket and you're freezing to death and the wind's blowing and howling and it feels like knifey icicles cutting through your skin every all over your body and all of a sudden you hear a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ go going and flying by you faster than you can even count them and I happen to think we probably Probably will see them, by the way, but that's opinion. So I have to preface that. That's my This speak I and not the Lord. So in any case, the dead in Christ go flying by, and then all of a sudden, bam! You're out of here. You're not cold anymore. You're not tired anymore. You're not hungry anymore. And your persecutors can't touch you. Nobody can grab you. Nobody can hit you. Nobody can chase you. You're flying through the sky to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. And there he is in all his glory and your eyes behold him and you forget all the trouble and turmoil and it's all worth it in that moment. The rapture, the catching away, the catching away of the church in the Bible. Don't let somebody's unbiblical words or attack on unbiblical words cause you to trash biblical doctrine. The doctrine of the bride is critical for rightly dividing the word of truth. So we're going to go to Ephesians 5 real quick. We've looked at the doctrine of the bride before. We're just going to brush up on it. Ephesians 5 um, verse 22. I don't think we've ever actually looked at it exhaustively, but that's okay. We're just looking at the Bible um, verse by verse. Works better that way anyway. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. There, this is the reason right here, verse 22. This is the reason that the doctrine of the catching away of the bride is not understood by most people because most people don't understand wives and husbands. To understand this doctrine, you have to understand God's purpose for the family, how the home works. You need to under to really get a grip on the catching away. You need to understand biblical espousal. You need to understand how that works. I recommend Pastor Reg Kelly's uh, message on Joseph from last night, December twenty fifth, two thousand twenty two. You look it up. The evening service at Liberty Faith Church. You can find it on sermon audio, and I'd encourage you to listen to that. You'll get a lot of in insight that will help you with the, with eschatology. Listen, if you don't understand marriage, you're getting nowhere in eschatology because eschatology hinges on marriage. The end times are what they're the, it is the getting of the bride. The whole thing is about the bride and the whole thing with God and Israel is about the father and his wife you got Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca. Now pay attention, strap in and let's go. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. How is the husband, the savior of the body? Well, here's the woman. All right, you feminists, you hold on here. This is going to be rough for you. So the, here goes the wife and her whole, her body is designed by God to give birth and to rear children. She is designed, everything about the woman's body is designed to make her the most perfect mother that can possibly be imagined. God gave her breasts and milk to feed the baby, not your lust. The purpose of them is primarily for the feeding of the baby. The way that her bones are structured are designed to hold a baby. Have you ever noticed a woman can hold a baby with one arm for four hours and most men don't last four minutes? With two arms and they're giving the baby back to mommy. But mommy can stand there and hold the baby with one arm while she does dishes with the other arm or knits with one arm. I know that's kind of far out, but anyway, she can do all these things while she holds the baby. A woman is designed by God, a beautiful piece of art designed by God to have children and to rear them, to raise them. Her heart, the way she thinks, the way she talks is all geared to the nurturing of little human beings and bringing them up and taking care of them and washing them and caring for them. Everything about a woman is centered around this idea of bringing forth new life into the world. But the woman without a husband cannot bring new life into the world and is what the Bible calls barren. And women who are married and yet cannot have children go through deep emotional trauma. And then the world tells them that that's because they got raised being taught stuff like I'm teaching you. And I say hooey and hogwash. The reason they do is because God designed them to have babies and they know it. And when something is broken and they can't have babies, they they feel this deep trauma inside because they are outside of their design. Now, God can give healing and God does give healing and there are many wonderful passages of scripture that can help uh, <coughs> that can help a woman that is barren. Many wonderful passages of scripture that can help a woman that is barren. <coughs> but no passage of scripture can help a single woman have a child. And the husband is what it takes to have a child. And the feminists hate this. I know that. And you have all the laboratory perversions that are going on today. And we're not even going to get into all that. But I encourage you. I beseech you. By God, stay away from unnatural laboratory insemination. And all of its branches. It all is mixed in with abortion. It's mixed in with all kinds of stuff you don't even want to get involved with. Just stay away from it and pray. You can't have kids. Read your Bible. Pray. Either get content. Raise some orphans do something but stay away from all of the false um, fake impregnating stuff it there's a curse on it stay away from it lost half you there but it's reality we're not even going to get into it all but you can study it for yourself or you can just put your head in the sand and go on and get the curse on your own house Now, the doctrine of the bride is critical here. The husband is the savior of the body because without the husband, she can give no life. The the wife without the husband is incomplete. Now, the man without the husband, it's not good that he should dwell alone, but he can. It's just not good that he should dwell alone. The woman without the husband is physically unable to do what the man can do. She can't go out and build herself a house like a man can on average. She doesn't have the strength. She doesn't have the speed. She doesn't have the stamina in the other areas that men have. She is designed for childbirth. And without the man, she cannot do what she is designed to do. Do you hear me today? So there's a breakdown there. The husband then is the savior of the body. So is the church with Christ. When Jesus Christ saves souls and brings them into the body of Christ, Christ in the midst of the church brings forth new life into the world. Christ is the savior of the body. So, and is the savior from our sins and all this kind of stuff. And we've got to keep moving. Now it says that he might sanctify it, cl- uh, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their own, love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. You say, what has this got to, eschat- got to do with eschatology? If you could figure this out, you wouldn't have nearly the trouble you do with eschatology. A lot of these people out here, if they would start in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, they wouldn't even come up with some of the stupid ideas that get passed off for doctrine in our day. Now let's look here. He says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Verse 31 of Ephesians 5 is a parallel verse in type to 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, where it says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And verse 16, it says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And so here you have the bridegroom coming down, leaving his father in heaven, coming down to earth to catch up his bride, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So here, this verse right here, the man leaving his father and mother, being joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This consummation is, is a type of what Jesus Christ will do in our study. The coming of Jesus Christ for his church is the consummation of the espousal. Hallelujah. Maybe nobody else is going to get excited about this, but I will. He says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now let's let's look at a few verses here in the Old Testament, and then we're going to look some more at this wife situation. Go to Genesis five twenty five quickly. Catch, catching away in the Old Testament, the catching away. If your doctrine is right, it will be right everywhere in the Bible. You will not have black holes where you cannot go to certain areas of the Bible um, and hold the doctrine that you hold. And you you can go there, you just can't talk about that doctrine. that's what most people do. They they believe something, and when they talk about it, they only go to their seven or eight places in the bible at most and they won't go to these other places and then whenever they want to talk about a different subject they'll go to those places but not they won't mix those places because what they've done is they've shielded themselves from the rest of scripture regarding their false doctrine so they can believe it genesis 524 Says here, and Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Here's your first rapture in the Bible. Your first catching away in the Bible. Enoch gets ripped up out of the earth. He gets taken. He doesn't even die. He walked with God and he was as was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech. And then um, after then comes Noah and then the flood. So here you have Enoch being pulled out just before The flood, (coughs) God's judgment on the world. Noah goes through the flood. Noah goes through the years leading up to the flood. Noah goes through the flood in the ark and comes out on the other side in the ark. So you have a catching away of Enoch, followed by the judgment of the world and the preservation of God's people, Noah being a father of Abraham. So in type, standing for the Jews, and there he is in the ark going through the tribulation, going through the flood. This ties in with Isaiah, I believe it's 43, the waters shall not overflow thee and the floods shall not drown thee. All these, all these precious promises that are primarily to the Jew. If you don't get that, there's, you're, you're gone. Right? You've got to rightly divide the word of truth. There are applications to the church all through it, and they're beautiful. And I love them as much as anybody as far as I know. But, <coughs> the, but the interpretation is to the Jew. And the prophecies and promises were given to the Jew there. So let's look at the next one. Go to Genesis 19. <coughs> now in Genesis 19, two angels come to Sodom at even, and here is Lot and his family. And here in Genesis 19, it's interesting to note, Abraham is out in the wilderness. He's been communing with God. So in type, you have a group that's walking with God and not in the judgment at all or anywhere near it. And then you have Lot who's in that judgment time, but gets pulled out and delivered through the judgment So you can see two things about this. You can see, number one, Lot got pulled out before the fire fell. God doesn't judge the righteous with the wicked, which is the whole point of chapter 18 and Abraham's prayer. But you can also see that Abraham wasn't even there. Abraham was where? Having dinner with God. Read your Bible. Chapter 18. Abraham was having dinner with God while Lot was going through hell in Sodom and didn't even know he was for half of it. But boy, he figured it out halfway through, didn't he? And God delivered him. by the way, two angels, and in the book of Revelation, there'll be two witnesses who will walk in Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom, according to the prophets. And you'll have the two witnesses walking through Jerusalem, just like the two angels walked through Sodom and delivered Lot. And the two witnesses will be there to deliver the Jews who believe in God. It's all here. It all lines up. I'm just giving you guys the picture. You got to put the pieces of the puzzle together with God's help. I'm showing you them, but I can't show you only God can, as he showed me, I didn't get it till God showed me Genesis 24 and verse 63 is the next catching away. Uh, And this is a little different perspective here. This is a much gentler perspective. Genesis 24, um, Abraham is going, is searching for a bride for his son. So you have Abraham and you have Sarah, you have God, the father, and then you have Sarah, the wife of God, the father. And listen to me, if you think Mary's the mother of God, you have another thing coming. It's Israel. You can go to Gen- Revelation, I believe it's 12. Let me read you just a little bit of that real quick. We'll try and go there. Hold your place in Genesis, if you can. Go to Revelation 12, who is the mother of Jesus Christ. It is Israel, Um It says, and there appeared, Revelation 12, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. You can go to Joseph and his dreams to figure out who this is talking about. It's Israel, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born and she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron Jesus Christ and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days and there was war in heaven Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels so this is a summary that God gives in the midst of revelation of this whole story of God's redemptive plan. Jesus Christ, the child was delivered of the mother Israel. She's caught away into the wilderness. So right now the mother is separated from the father. And we'll find that out when we get to Hosea, the wife of the father Israel, who he says, you are my wife. I've espoused you is separated from God right now because she whored herself out and left him, but he's going to come get her. That's what Hosea is all about, the whole point of Hosea. But she is the mother, Israel, the mother of Christ. (coughs) Mary being the single individual who bore him, but Israel being the woman with the moon and the stars and all of that. And then God the Father being Christ's Father. So here in Genesis 24, you have Abraham, God the Father, Sarah, Israel, Isaac, the promised deliverer, the Messiah who came of the seed of the woman, the Bible says, from Genesis (coughs) excuse me, Genesis chapter three. And so here you have the child. Isaac now needs a wife. And instead of sending Isaac to go pick a woman, he sends Eliezer, his servant, a picture of the Holy ghost. This whole passage preaches and preaches and preaches and preaches. And we don't have time for that. We just got to give you the brush over and move on. But here, Eleazar goes to get a bride for Isaac. And I want you to see what happens when the bride comes, when the, when Eleazar is bringing the bride back, which we'll get in 2 Thessalonians, by the way, to the role of the Holy Spirit and holding back the Antichrist. All this ties in. Eleazar is he that letteth. And he, until he, until he comes out, the judgment's not going to fall. But when he comes out, he's bringing Rebecca with him. The Holy Spirit is not going to leave his job undone. He's not leaving Rebecca behind. That's the whole, listen to me. You get this down and eschatology starts to make sense. End times prophecies start to make sense. You get down the relationship of the bride. You get down the reality. And this, listen to me. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve when God made the first man and the first woman. God is trying to tell you something. The family is, we talked about this in the family of God. The physical family is not as important as the spiritual family. The spiritual family will last forever. The physical family is temporary, but it was instituted by God and it is important. And the purpose of it is to reflect God's doctrines. That's why Satan hates the family. Why he attacks the family? Because if you get the family messed up in your mind, you will not be able to understand God. If you're a bad dad or you have a bad dad, it makes it hard to understand God as a father, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on throughout the whole thing. If you're a brat of a kid, it's hard to understand Christ, the obedient child who was obedient even unto death. (coughs) Now, (coughs) Genesis 24, 63, here comes the bride with Eliezer, a type of the Holy Ghost, and it says, um, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the even tide. So Isaac leaves his tent, and he goes out into the field. And as he's walking through the field here, it says, he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And the, those old camels of grace, Pastor Ed, you preached on. And Rebecca lifted up his, her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. And what does it say? For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? He's walking in the field to meet us. She's coming to meet him. He's coming to meet her. And they meet in the field in between home and the world. In between Ur of the Chaldees and in between the tent of Sarah. Do you hear me today? They meet in between. This is the catching away. Rebecca meeting Isaac in the field is like us meeting Christ in the clouds. Hallelujah. And when we see Christ, we're getting off the camel. We won't need it anymore. And we will we'll say to the Eleazar, the Holy Ghost, what is this man that comes to meet us? And he'll say, that's him. And we'll go, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's all through the Bible. And then what does Isaac do here? What does Isaac do? He says, he says, woohoo, I got me a bride. Send her home. I've got a war to fight. He says, oh, look at that bride. I uh, No, she, she's not quite clean enough. I want you to burn her clothes off of her, whip her with a whip, roll her in the mud, and then throw her in my tent, and I'll show her who's boss. None of the above. What does he do? Look at it. It says, and the servant had said, it is my master. Therefore, she took a veil and covered herself. By the way, the Holy Ghost is subject to Christ and glorifies Christ, not himself. That's basic Holy Ghost doctrine. Go to John and read Christ's introductory, not right now, but read Christ's introductory teaching of the doctrine of the Holy Ghost. Verse 66, and the servant told Isaac all things that he had done, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Comfort. How about that? Now, Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Where is Sarah at this time? As far as Isaac's concerned, she's dead. As far as Abraham's concerned, she's dead. And where is the Jew when Isaac meets Rebekah in the end times? When Christ meets his bride, dead to God, rebel to God, turned away from God. And Isaac is comforted concerning his mother's death. And who was it that rejected Christ? Who was it that said we will not have this man to reign over us? Who was it that would cast him off? Israel. Spiritually, his mother. And his mother has died to him at this point, but she will be raised again. Because God the Father... Is not going to be without his wife. Oh, my Lord in heaven. We've got too much to, to even cover. This is good stuff. Listen to me. This is good stuff. The Bible's a good book. Hallelujah, and it just opens itself right up to you whenever you come to God and you want to know the truth and you're not coming with all your own pet doctrines that you want to try and force in like square pegs and round holes. Now, here we go. Um, he takes her home to the wedding consummation. Isaac is comforted, and he goes back to the house with his bride for the marriage feast. That's exactly what we're going to read in the Bible when we get to Revelation 19. Um, my Lord in heaven, this is so good. And there's so much we'll get there in Revelation 19. Let's keep going. I hate to even leave it off there, but Oh, um, second Samuel three, two, go quickly. Second Samuel three, two, here we have David, a type of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in Hebron, not Judah. Saul has been killed. Jonathan, Malchashua, Saul's sons all died. The Philistines killed them. And so you have um, here, Israel is in distress. Israel is in defeat. David returns to Judah and he rules in Hebron. And how long did he rule in Hebron? Seven years. Coincidence? Not at all. So Jesus Christ will rule over his bride in heaven for 7 years of earthly time of tribulation. So here what does David do whenever he gets there verse chapter 3 verse 1 Now there was a long, was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David but David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. <coughs> And unto David were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and and his second Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite, and the third Absalom, the son of Mech. Wait, what is he doing? Now David kind of took this to an extreme, and because of the culture and the sin and everything else and the wickedness, he had multiple wives, but he consummated marriage. He took command, seven years he reigned, and had a marriage feast where he consummated marriage. David would pay a high price for his perversion of the family. Listen, you read about it yourself. Read about the sin that followed because of his polygamy. That was not God's plan. That was man's plan, just like Ishmael and Hagar, but God had a plan in it, and God would use all of it for his glory, even though man's such a mess. But David here is in Hebron for seven years, marrying, c- consummating <coughs> um, consummating his marriages, and guess what? His captains are at war. We find in chapter two that Joab is fighting Abner, not David. David's not in the fight yet. He's ruling and reigning in Hebron, consolidating his kingdom, organizing his army. And Joab is leading the war. And what did Daniel say that Michael would do in the time of the Jews' trouble? Would stand up. Michael would stand up. Not Christ, not the Messiah, not God himself, but Michael. And while Michael stands up, there'll be a time of trouble. Let me tell you one of the reasons there'll be such a time of trouble, because Jesus will be busy. He'll be busy consummating his marriage. He'll be busy at the marriage feast. And Michael, Christ's Joab, Christ's captain, chief prince for Israel, will be leading a heavenly war including the wrath of God and all these things happening as God pours out his wrath and his fury on this world and deals with his disobedient wife who he is bringing, God the Father is bringing back. And God the Father is dealing with his disobedient wife. Now, if you don't believe in the Trinity, if you only partly believe in it, this is going to be really hard to get. If you believe God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost are three different parts of an egg, but they're all one egg then you're going to have a hard time with this. If you don't understand that the Bible is saying that God, the father is God and that God, the son is God and that God, the Holy ghost is God. And that these three are one that they are a, that they are God himself but they are God they are perfectly separate and yet they are perfectly God they're not just three parts of one thing but yet they are one God and they are one okay the egg breaks down if you have a limited if you have limited yourself to your own ability to understand the trinity you're going to have trouble with this God the Father has a wife God the Son has a bride Now God the Father and His wife have already had their child Christ. That happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem in the manger whenever God the Holy Ghost came down and overshadowed Mary and put the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in the womb of Mary. I know this stuff is, is wild if you don't know your Bible, but it's Bible. And God the Father and his wife, Israel, have had their child, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ needs a bride. His mother is dead to him right now. Israel is gone right now, spiritually, but she's coming back. Now that takes us to Hosea. Let's go there. um, Quickly, now David would eventually um, rule the whole land. Christ will eventually. We're going to see that. We're going to get there. Lord willing. Go to Hosea quickly. All right, so Hosea chapter one and verse two, in the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So here are here is this thing where Hosea is commanded to take a harlot for his wife and God says I will, in verse six, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel. And here people will read these things and say, look, God cast off by the way. And here it talks about, um, God giving a bill of divorcement to Israel. But see, we are, we misunderstand divorce biblically and God's bigger than divorce. But anyway, it says here, um, verse chapter three, then said the Lord unto me, go yet love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. And he, so he sins and here Hosea has to go and take his harlot. She, he married a harlot. Then she ran away from him to be a harlot some more. And Hosea had to go and buy her back again. And so he went and bought his own wife back to him. And he said, you'll just be for me. Look at verse three. And I said unto her, thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. And so here this is as verse five. "Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Right there. God promised it. We got to keep moving. We don't have time. Lord, help us today. So here, let's go to the last part of Hosea here. God calls so many beautiful prophecies throughout this and um, so much that God can teach us through, through the book of Hosea. Chapter 14, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Uh, he's, and God says in verse 4, I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from them. For mine anger is is turned away from them. Go to Romans chapter 11. Hath God forsaken his people Israel, it says here. And Paul says, God forbid. Galatians talks about the Israel of God, which are those Jews who are truly believing, not those that are of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but the actual believing Jews, the Israel of God. Romans 11 says, Hath God um, cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite, of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin God hath not cast away his people which he foreknow. What watching not what the scripture saith of Elias how he maketh intercession to God against Israel saying Lord and he goes on and says there is an election that it has still obtained it so here is the nation of Israel God says he has not cast them away I don't care what your doctrine says I don't care what you learned at Bible school God says he has not cast away Israel if your Bible, uh, Bible professor told you he did he's a liar and it says in verse 26 and so all Israel shall I'll be saved. And I meant liar. I really meant that. Listen, a lot of it, were like, um, nobody can really know eschatology. It's, it, there's so many unknowns and, and you know, there's a lot, of, there's some things that are unknown. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you straight. You start calling God an unfaithful husband and you are blaspheming God. You start challenging God's faithfulness to his people and you are a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. There is no excuse for this so-called eschatology called replacement theology that is an absolute heresy and an offense to Almighty God. And it is a scam. It is a thing of Satan it is right out of the bowels of hell it comes from hell and the catholic church was in on it the mormons are in on it a lot of protestants get on in on it a lot of christians get involved in it and it is sick and disgusting it makes god out to be a liar and a pervert god is not an adulterer like you are sir and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins as concerning the gospel they are enemies for your sakes but as touching the election they are beloved for the father's sakes you bunch of replacement guys he says as concerning the gospel they are enemies you want to claim to be a Jew today you want to claim to be a spiritual Jew in an Israelite and say God's done with Israel and you are claiming to be an enemy of the gospel. You don't even hear yourself. It doesn't even make sense. You say don't get mad at us. I'm not mad at you but I'm mad at the stinking filthy pit of hell lies that have been coming out of your sick seminaries. It says but as touching the election. They are beloved for the father's sakes for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. We could go on. We don't have time. You cannot read Romans 9, 10, and 11 and come up with replacement theology unless you are sick in the head and full of pride. You have got to be full of pride to come up with replacement theology or fear of man, one or the other. I'll give you that one. Maybe you're just so full of fear of man that you won't challenge anything you've been taught and go to the Bible and read it for yourself. Now, in um, Jeremiah 31, go there quickly. Jeremiah 31, this is what God said to all those out there that would say that God has cast away Israel. Um, Jeremiah 31, 35, it says here, thus saith the Lord which giveth the sun for a light by day. Who here has seen sunlight today? Anybody, everybody. Okay, thus saith the Lord which giveth the sun for a light by day. By the way, in the tribulation, when it goes dark, they're going to get real scared. Because of this verse. And the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. Right there, the Bible teaches the tides, by the way, are controlled by the moon. How about that? Anyway, the Lord of Hosts is His name. If those ordinances depart from before me, get this, then shall the seed of Israel, then shall the seed of Israel also cease from being a nation from before me forever. He said, if the sun and the moon and the stars stop shining, then Israel will stop being a nation before me. Did you see moonlight any time in the last couple of weeks? Then Israel is still a nation before God. Don't you dare lie about God. Make God out to be some kind of adulterer. It's sick doctrine. Sick doctrine. I hate that doctrine. I despise that doctrine because it makes God out to be a liar. God hates that doctrine too. You say God's done with Israel. He divorced her and he remarried the church. Filth, lies, blasphemy. Verse 36, if those ordinances depart from me before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. He says they've been wrong. They've done all this wickedness. But if you can measure the heavens and search the depths of the earth, then I will cast them off for all that they have done. And then he goes on and makes promises about it, um, about the end times. <clears throat> Behold the day's come saith the Lord that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananel under the gate of the corner. God is not done with Israel and will not be done with Israel. He is not a man that he should lie. You say, "Good grief, why did you jump on this? Why are you beating up these other poor Christians because they've sucked lies down their throats?" I'm not beating them up. I'm beating the lies up by God's grace, and this is necessary if you're going to understand verse Thessalonians 4:17. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. All these people want to do is make God a liar and make him unjust so that they can excuse themselves for their own adulterous um, junk. And that's you scholars and theologians, bunch of adulterers, you were in Jesus's time and you are today. Now the timing of this whole thing, again, we'll look at later just to give you, just, a, just to whet your appetite, you can see the um, church age again, I got this reading my Bible and studying the history of the world for myself and I didn't get it from any scholar, any theologian or any notes in any Bible. And the church ages are written in Revelation 2 and 3. It's in the Bible. It's clear. Revelation 1 deals with the things that have been. Revelations 2 and 3 deal with the things that are. Revelations 4 through 22 deal with the things which shall be. And that's the outline God gives in the Bible. Revelation 4.1 begins with a door opened in heaven and a voice saying, Come up hither. Which is the catching away. We'll get to that, Lord willing, more. Also, we'll look at Revelation 19, 1 through 9. I wanted to get there today. Doesn't look like we're going to get there today. We're going to have to save that for tomorrow. Where we see our king's wedding. Well, his captain's war. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you just bless this word. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to to honor you in everything that we say and do. We know, Lord, that you are a God, a covenant-keeping God. You keep your word. And Lord, my eternity rests in your ability to keep your word. My hope rests in your ability to keep your word and in your veracity, your honesty, that you will do what you said that you'd do. And I thank you, Father. I worship you and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Again, our verse here, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. In case any of you are wondering, I really believe every bit of that is gonna happen just like that. God bless you, amen.